0: Hello, and welcome to this Blueprint Across America podcast. I'm Chuck Brotman, today's host. Blueprint helps companies get stronger through guided expansion across the Southeast. In this series, we aim to speak with talented and thoughtful professionals from cities and states across the country on a range of business and management topics. And I am incredibly pleased today to introduce you all to Daniel Boyce, commercial sales director at Samsara, and one of the more exceptional management hires, or frankly, any hires that I've made in my own career. Danielle, good morning, how are you doing?
1: Great, Chuck, how are you doing? Thanks for the lovely intro. Oh,
0: I'm doing great, and uh, it's, it's, it's such a delight to, to have you on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. So um, again, jumping right into it, obviously I've known you for a few years now, having hired you at, at, at Keep Trucking back in the day, to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, any fun facts that you'd care to share, and a little bit more on the work you're currently doing today.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I always have to start with this. I'm a middle child, which I think tells people right away a lot about your personality, but I've been managing up and down my entire life. But I've actually formally been in sales for about a decade, recently moved back from the Bay Area to the southeast, living in Atlanta. And I've been in Nashville for eight years prior to that. So my sales journey has truly taken me around the world from the Middle East to Asia for different periods of time in my life, but always land back in the Southeast. During this time, COVID, um, it's been especially important to me to get outside. So I've started picking up golf as a game, which is a tremendous sport, but definitely mentally challenging. And then I always have to take a second to plug pickleball, which Chuck, I know. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I know I made you play on a business trip, but starting to get a league together in Atlanta. It's one of the fastest growing sports that people have never heard of. Is sort of the logo that goes with it. But if you think about tennis meets ping pong, it's a really fun, easy sport to play outside and to pick up.
0: No, I'm I'm seeing tennis courts trans- transformed into pickleball courts. So I'm seeing that uh, that takeoff that you described. And uh, yeah, miss, miss miss playing the game and need to need to get back out there myself. Danielle, on on the subject of the southeast, um, you're from Mississippi, a state that's not you know necessarily known as a hotbed of tech sales talent. I'm I'm, I'm curious if you can share a little bit about you know how you got into tech sales yourself um, and sort of the, the, that initial journey.
1: Yeah, this is a great story. So. As you mentioned, from Mississippi, tech was never actually at the forefront, wasn't on my radar, wasn't my major, what I went to school for. I actually went to school to be an analyst in the federal government. Got to do a lot of really cool stuff there. Anything from doing an internship at a cold case unit, working at fusion centers that were created post 9-11. And then my senior thesis was fascinating. It was about, you were to smuggle weapon of mass destruction into the US through the Mexico border? Where would you do that? Um, So nothing really to do with sales or tech. But in 2011, when I graduated, the government was on a hiring freeze and I needed to do something. So I started working for a privately owned company, think like a Verizon or an AT&T, but it was smaller. And I was slinging cell phones. So I was out in retail which was great to give me a foundation of in-person selling, long hours on your feet, holidays, lots of respect for retail. But my sister at the time was living in Nashville and she said, come up to the city, come explore, you're gonna love it. So it was actually a Tuesday night. We went out to a place called Wild Beaver and it's everything that you would think a honky tonk would be. There's karaoke, huh. there's a mechanical bull, it's smoky and there's this group of eight people dressed semi-professional. They all had their work badges on and they were singing Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. And I just looked over at this group and thought, I have to be these people. So I walked over and asked them what they did, where they worked. And they said, we work for a tech company. It's a couple blocks away. You should apply for it. We're hiring. It's super fun. And so then a couple weeks later, I found myself moving to Nashville and starting out in my first tech sales job. So it really goes back to Tuesday night, honky tonk, wild beaver, dancing to Michael Jackson, and then here I am in tech sales for a full decade.
0: Wow. I'm always fascinated by the the the, the accidents of life and, and you know how we we find our calling. And um, you know, I it just I, I think for 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 those listening here who continue to operate on the assumption that you know that tech hiring needs to take place on the coasts or in certain certain centers here. Um, you know, just, you know, it's, it's amazing and fortuitous that, you know, you were in Nashville at this time and, and found this opportunity, but you know, how do companies go out and, and, and find the, the talent themselves and, um, get past these assumptions? I think, I think it's so important, you know, for the, the, the years that we worked together, you managed, uh, you know, uh, SMB, I know you, you're, you're focused on commercial sales at, at Samsara, um these are segments that are very near and dear to my my heart and and how I came up through at least direct sales management. I'm I'm curious, what do you like best about small business and commercial sales?
1: Yeah. So in this question, I want a pair of the two together. So SMB sales and then startups. I love the lack of red tape that exists in the startup world. I've been on the corporate side where there's a lot more rules, foundation structure, but in SMB and with startups, You get to move quick, you get to pilot things, fail fast, try again, land and expand isn't just for deals. You can pilot a program if it works, spread it to the whole floor. You get to have a ton of creativity within the sales motion and with the sales team. So it's everything from the energy, the speed, the deals, the process, and you bring all of those things together and it makes your day-to-day and your weeks really exhilarating.
0: It really is a great... Great place to get comfortable with with losing and moving on, isn't it? As well, I think you kind of alluded to that. But w- one of the things I I've enjoyed about SNB sales, you know, you, you lose a couple of deals, have a really bad conversation, like you know, you move on to the next. It, it really helps you you know, build your 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 confidence and your fortitude because you know any single deal is not gonna not gonna bring you down. But if you let your activity lag um, and your focus and and um, and energy day over day, like you will get yourself in a rut, though, right?
1: Yeah, and I heard a quote recently I liked a lot that was the most important thing in SMB sales to have is a short-term memory. So it's exactly what you just mentioned. If you get off a bad call, you're on to the next. You got to be able to take a breath, let it go, and keep moving because there's more out there.
0: Absolutely, but but those skills then lend themselves to to upmarket selling as well, which I think is also important for you know listeners working in this world and 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 why I think it, you know, SMB is such a great foundation for becoming skilled at sales in general. I, I'm, I'm so curious to talk to you about managing distributed teams. I, I, I can't think of anyone who's had a more distributed team, Daniel, than, than you, um, you know, having reps that, that, that span the globe. And I, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about um, you know, ha- how you've done that effectively. I mean, how do you ensure you know, parity of engagement with each of your reps when you have some that sit in an office with you and some that are you know, across the globe? How do you ensure parity of, of the relationships and, and the coaching you're delivering to teams that are that are very distributed?
1: Yeah, loaded question. so i 'll break that down into each part that you mentioned when it comes to engagement, relationship, and coaching. Um, First and foremost on the engagement piece, I placed a lot of importance on team interaction. So it didn't matter if you sat halfway across the world, every team, every member was going to know each other. So introducing them and then being extremely intentional about cross-sharing and cross-coaching. And what I mean by that is if an AE came to me and had a question, yeah, I might know the answer, but what's better for them is to connect with someone not on their direct team to discuss that problem, to solve it together. And then they formed a relationship to be able to connect and talk on other future problems that they have. So truly creating a one team mentality, regardless of location. And then the next piece I would say is you always have to think about we're coming from different cultures in different countries. It's extremely important that we consciously make an effort to be empathetic and to see where the other person is coming from. We usually do not instinctively understand another person's point of view from a different culture or country. And so I found asking a lot of questions and then as a leader, also recognizing in those moments when there's a disconnect, when they're not understanding what you're telling them and you're not understanding their perspective to slow down, ask more questions, and then be able to quickly pivot to try different methods. Um, was absolutely crucial to being successful there. Um, Also, showing that you can be a champion and advocate for them no matter where you sit. One of the things that my teams brought up is they knew no matter what, they could get in touch with me. Any new team that I have, immediately, here's my phone number, add me on WhatsApp, text me your phone number, know that you can call me, Slack me, FaceTime me, email, any forum they knew that i would be there and they would never feel like oh she's halfway across the world i'm not going to be able to get in touch with her and then this one the next one is very surprising to a lot of people and at first it might sound off-putting or like a micromanager but for me it was key to have cameras in the office and at first the team was very freaked out by it and so i explained to them I don't have time to sit there and watch you guys all day, but it's going to help me manage you virtually to know who was in the office. You know, every single day when your team comes in, if you're sitting on the floor with them, who's there and who's not, if you haven't heard from someone and that's where they're supposed to be, there's definitely a safety aspect there. There's also the other side. If, if you need to call a quick team huddle, you're able to see if the team's actually there to gather around. We had one hilarious moment, there's a great memory that I'll never forget, where a rep was taking an afternoon siesta at their desk, which was not our norm, and so I pinged his neighbors and said, "Will you wake him up, and they all started nudging him, and probably 10 people gathered around this computer trying to decide what to say back to me, and it was hilarious because they forgot that I could see them all gathered around the computer trying to figure out what to say back to me. Um, and so I ended up calling the team and we just had a funny moment to laugh about it and to bond over it and for it to not feel micro and he's never slept again, but it was just a telling moment of being able to have that visibility was key.
0: I think it's really interesting the way that you walk through this because you know you know starting with you know you, your your efforts to to ensure your availability for your team providing your number providing access on whatsapp and, and committing yourself to being there as a resource i think too many people going into management have this preconception that you know it, it's all about you know kind of scaling their time and setting structure and implementing a cadence which you know these things are obviously important and and, and no one wants to encourage new managers to to overcommit their time but but being, being there as a resource and, and encouraging that, I think is so important because, you know, if you're then going to take the steps to try to establish more presence and implement cameras, you know, people know there, that, that this is coming from a good place, right? That you're committed to their development and their growth. And part of that commitment entails, you know, having some, some connection that includes cameras, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I would say for the coaching piece of it, that came down to the structure that you just mentioned, having daily huddles consistent weekly one-on-ones and then deal strategies across continents was super fun but two pieces of coaching that i want to mention the first is call listening so you're not on the floor with your teams and a lot of people right now are not on the floors with their teams as we're work from home so it's crucial that you block time to listen to calls and then give that feedback written and in person to make sure that it's understood right they know they're getting better and being invested in And then the second piece of coaching and structure that I found really helpful and the 80s at first said they were nervous about it, but then later said that they loved it and it went a long ways with actually shadowing people through screen share. So I would send over a Zoom link and for a couple hours they would just work as normal and I would watch them as they worked, you know, how do they structure their day. When they make a call, what all information are they looking at? How do they pick which piece of their pipeline to focus on for this hour? And then what are their emails look like, their follow-ups? And what I found there that was truly amazing is there are so many shortcuts and different efficiencies that we needed to put into place. And by being able to actually see the full workflow, we were able to put those shortcuts and efficiencies into place to make them faster and more productive. So even though people were nervous to do it at first, the outcome of it was really impactful.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really, really powerful. It's something I hadn't thought about, haven't done in my career. But um, I think th- th- those can often be the hidden challenges that you know, managers who are not invested in the success of their teams are not going to uncover, right? And even if someone is great at having conversations and, and you know, running any given sales call, and really helping to understand where the inefficiencies are that are you know, in, in particularly in commercial sales, right. I can see that being really important. Daniel, going back to what you said earlier about, um, you know, kind of, you know, culture and, 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 you know, aligning with your teams and and, and and getting in front of disconnects. How do you always know when you have a disconnect? If you've, you know, if you've picked up a new team that is truly international, you're not that something we we to necessarily see all the times in our careers, but in this, you know, post-COVID world where this may become, you know, more the, the, the norm, you know, I would imagine that in many cases, you know, people may not feel comfortable, um, you know, speaking up and, and sharing, you know, challenges they might have with feeling comfortable and included. Like, how do, you, how do you know if there's a disconnect early? How do you really make sure that, you know, that unconscious bias or other, other subtle things might be getting in the way of, of building a, you know, a strong relationship out of the gates?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of different things there. First, I would say, usually you can see it. So if you require your teams to use cameras in a one-on-one or in a team meeting, you can sense on someone's face that maybe that didn't land or they're not on board for that. So I think, you know, your facial expressions and having cameras on is crucial. And then also within a coaching conversation, having people say back to you what they took away from what you just coached or gave feedback on. Right. And so- and you can interpret like, oh, that's not quite what I meant. I want to phrase that differently. Let's dig in there. Can,
0: can, also- you, get, so can you give our listeners an example of how you do that? I think that's a really important point. How, how, without sounding, you know, pedantic, how, how, do you, how do you ask them to do that? I'm curious if you don't mind me to put, yeah, put you on the spot there. but
1: Yeah. So you could just simply say, I know we've talked about a lot here today. What are your top two to three takeaways? Right. But then you're seeing out of the 30-minute conversation that you've had, what are their two to three biggest things that they took away? And is that what you wanted them to take away? Yep. Maybe there's fluff or sugar coating that you added in there, and that's what stood out to them. And so that's your opportunity to say, oh, that's actually not exactly what I wanted you to take away. Let's sit on these topics and go back over those again.
0: It's amazing. This is what you call e- emotional intelligence and in action. But I think uh, the sort of skills that, that we can all develop, right, by, by taking these things seriously and, and, and really seeking to understand, you know, are we, are we making an impact? Are we, are we building a relationship that can be that foundation to coach and develop? Right.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I I, th- I think we've kind of alluded to some of these, but I'm, I'm curious what you see as some of the biggest challenge that, you know, that first time sales managers make and, and and what are some things that you coach to avoid them? Um, and I, I think we go in many different directions here, but, what are common mistakes that you've seen with first-time managers, Danielle?
1: One of the ones that we just talked about, I would say shying away from crucial conversations or being timid in those conversations. You'll have a manager come to you and say, hey, I need to give this rep this specific feedback. And then you should always try and sit in some of those feedback sessions to hear how your managers do. And I'll sit in those sessions and be like, wow, what you just told me is like very different than what you just told the rep. And I'll put myself in the rep's shoes and think, what did I just hear from the manager? And then afterwards saying like, Hey, that's what you told me and what you just told them are two very different things. Let's work on how we give feedback and walking them through that. And also radical candor is a great book. Um, There's a quote in there about how not having radical candor actually hurts an employee longer than the short term pain of being honest and being direct and being uncomfortable in that conversation. And I think new managers, it takes some time to get comfortable As we talked about having that system of how you operate in place, it leads to getting buy-in from your team. I heard a quote from Yellowstone recently that was, title isn't something given to you. It is something you live up to every day. And I want to say that again, because it's very powerful. Title isn't something given to you. It is something that you live up to every day. Usually with new managers, you'll hear direct quotes from reps. We feel like we ask for, and it never happens. We fill out this survey. We do this skip level, and it goes nowhere. As a new manager, you should come in, show the action plan, get their buy-in on how you're going to operate as a team and what they can expect from you, and then show that progress towards the plan. The easiest way that I've found to do that is every month we have a kickoff, slide number one here's the AE feedback, here's our progress towards that goal. And it does not come off that slide until there's resolution. If you don't have monthly kickoffs, have it in a regular huddle where you can show that their voices have been heard and that there's action behind the feedback that they're giving. This does two things. It gives your team visibility and it holds your leadership group accountable to the progress that you're going to make towards the feedback that you're giving, which truly closes the loop and moves the business forward. And that's how Your employees know that you care about them, you care about their success individually and for the company. Um, The second thing that I would say I see in new managers is organization. When you become a manager, there's a lot that's staring at you from all different angles, your calendar, the structure of your day. So finding your workflow, is it a Trello board, calendar blocking, your inbox being your to-do list, the traditional paper, you've got to find what works for you. And the biggest thing I would say here is you have to figure out a system that if you can't get something done, how do you hold yourself accountable? And I'll say that again, because it's a little bit different of a thought process. But if you cannot get something done, how do you hold yourself accountable? Because you've gone from being an AE to now you've got eight to 10 people that depend on you. So if you're not able to cross that off for the day or accomplish that, how do you get it done within the next few days and holding yourself accountable to still completing that because it should still be important if it's on your calendar, on your to-do list.
0: So what do you do if if you're not getting these things done and you, you know, you want to avoid working 80 hour weeks, what's the, what's the approach? How does one, how does one adjust and, and, uh, and make sure they're hitting their commitments?
1: Yeah, sometimes it's taking a step back yourself. But if you can't do that, it's going to your director, your manager, your VP, and just showing them your calendar and being candid to say, I can't continue to work these hours. Here's all the things on my plate. Where can I get more support? I've even had my VP tell me like, hey, that's actually not important. Take it off your calendar. Don't do that. Or why are you in so many meetings? What can be accomplished through emails or fewer meetings? And so having that conversation with your director or VP to help you guide you through like what is important and where is it crucial to spend that time, definitely encourage people to do that.
0: That's great. I I think on the, 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 the radical candor piece and before reading that book myself, I remember, you know, certainly you were extremely skilled at being radically candid with me as your boss. And I learned a lot from you. I always felt like, you know, your feedback and, and requests for guidance came from, a, came from a great place in terms of looking to me to help you develop and, and, and coach your team and achieve big results. And uh, I can think a few who uh, did it as effectively as you. So great to hear you, you share that um, in those examples. Uh, last question for you, Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, I know you're someone who, um, you know, is big on mentorship. You talk a little bit about that in terms of encouraging that within the teams that you, uh, that you build. Are there any specific you know, people or um, influencers, to use the word, on, on, uh, on LinkedIn or elsewhere that you would recommend our, our, uh, our listeners follow? Anyone specifically that you think is a great resource for people to consider?
1: Yeah, I have a couple. So for people that love podcasts, I listen to How I Built This by Guy Raz. Found it really inspiring. It's all about the trials and tribulations of successful companies that we all know, anywhere from a Spanx, a Patagonia, Wayfair, Bumble, there's something for everyone and you'll start to pick up common themes of they have failed a lot and then they found something that lands and how they got the business to where it is today and all of the different players and the personal side of it. So I love that podcast. That's one of my go-tos. For people that are social scrollers on LinkedIn, um, Sarah Brazer, she works for Gong. I find her writing style to be very captivating. She's direct, she's honest, she's early in her sales career. And so it helps you to keep that sanity of knowing the things that you go through other people do. One thing that she sure wrote post about was work dreams. And I remember when I had my first work dream, I thought like, Oh my gosh, I've gone crazy. And then to see like, Oh, other people have work dreams too. It's actually normal and that's okay. It's really cool. And then people from the C level to read her post, then you get more insight into how your sales employees might be feeling And I could not answer this question without putting B-Led in there. He's leading a movement called Death to Fluff. And it's all about a disruption of sales and companies. And a lot of the content that he puts out is very thought-provoking and intriguing. So I'd encourage everyone to read the content that he has for a new perspective and hopefully a movement in the way that companies and sales will adjust over the next few years.
0: Great recommendations, Daniel. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us here. I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation. I learn a lot from every conversation we have, and I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on.
0: All right. Bye, everyone.